welcome you to a brand new series. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are at the Ferndale campus. Got a chance to go out to Ferndale last weekend, and there is a happening church going on in Ferndale. It's pretty exciting to see what the Lord's doing out there. It's pretty awesome. I lost track of the number of people that said video would not work. Well, apparently there's more than a couple hundred people in Ferndale that disagree with that statement, and there's some really cool stuff going on. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Thank you so much for being here with us. In a couple of weeks is Easter. It's the biggest celebration that Christians know. And we have three big asks for Easter, okay? This is what we're going to ask you to do as we approach the most holy celebration that Christ the King faces every single year. Number one, we want you to write down and invite verbally five friends. Five people that you want to see come to Jesus on Easter weekend. The the statistic never ceases to amaze me. 75% of people said they'd come to church if somebody would just invite them. Five people, that's all we're asking. Five verbal invitations. Secondly, we're going to ask you as a church to learn Christ is risen. Here at at the Bellingham campus, we sang it as the first song this weekend. We're going to be singing it all along. Pastor Mike wrote that song to celebrate on Easter. You know, Christ is risen kind of goes with the Easter theme just a little, right? And so we're going to learn it. We're going to sing it. We want to blow away our guests that weekend by singing that song. Because what we want is for people to go, they actually believe that. Because they're singing it at the top of their lungs. And then thirdly, we're going to ask you to be on time, okay? I know that's difficult for Whatcom County people, but we're going to ask you to be on time to help us with the flow in and out of the surfaces. We've got to clear the parking lot. We don't want the police to have to show up and direct traffic like they did last year. We want to be nice and orderly, and so we're asking you to be on time as well. Last weekend, if there was a headline painted over Christ the King Church, it would have been this headline. The lives of 158 children changed forever. As a church, we gave you an opportunity to be involved in the side-by-side challenge. You as a church changed the lives of 158 kids. That is amazing, wonderful. That is the largest single fundraiser that Rebound has ever experienced. And if you want to get on board with that, they're going to be in the commons as well here at the Bellingham campus. We'll have a way for you to to do that at Ferndale as well. Newspaper headlines tell the story of the world. For sometimes the headlines are scary. Other times they can actually be funny. Here's a couple of headlines that we found over the last couple of weeks that I thought were just kind of interesting. City council runs out of time to discuss shorter meetings, you know? There's bureaucracy at its finest, right? Let's roll to the next one. I think this one's hilarious. Mississippi's literacy program shows improvement. (laughs) Apparently not for the guy who wrote that one, all right? Here's number three, and you got to look close. Kids can be taught to eat right, okay? That kid's eating out of a dog dish. (laughs) What in the world? And I'm allowed to do this fourth one. You have to be nice, but I can do it because of my heritage. Let's look at the next one. Suspicious people were reportedly doing something with flashlights by the side of North 5th Street in Custer. A deputy checked and found these people were not suspicious, but merely Canadian. (laughs) Okay, I can say that and laugh. You have to be nice, okay? Canadian born and raised right here. Well, we're glad that you're here for our new Easter series called Headlines. Last week, the news headlines were scary, weren't they? Nuclear reactor fails, cruise missiles hit Libya, 
worldwide food shortage predicted. That's scary stuff for a lot of people. 2,000 years ago in Israel, there was a different set of headlines being splashed across the the ways that they communicated back then. They were different, but they weren't very different. 2,000 years ago, the headlines would have read, Tyranny of Rome Continues. Radicals executed by the thousand. Compliance demanded. And into that world 2,000 years ago, into that political mess, stepped the Son of God. And he began to teach a radically new message. And it wasn't what the people expected. In fact, it wasn't even what the people wanted. They wanted a headline that read this way, Rome overthrown by conquering king. That's what they wanted. But you know what they got instead? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, meaning Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to hold on to that scripture really tight for the next couple of moments. Before I became a pastor, I worked in the food industry. My first job was working in the dish pit at Brandon University. It was the nastiest job I ever had. My job was to clean off plates and wash dishes. I got to run my fingers through people's half-eaten food. It was disgusting. There was an interesting little ritual that came about when you got to be a part of that dish pit. You see, the the trays would come in on a conveyor belt. You'd grab the first plate, slop the food off of it, rack it, put the glasses up, do the silverware, and then fire those things through the dishwasher so they could be circulated back to the students. In that slop trough, at the bottom of it, where all of the food kind of just compiled itself throughout the entire, entire meal, was the largest garbage disposal you have ever seen in your life. It was industrial strength. In Canada, we called it a garburator. And, and, and you'd pile that thing up with food, and at the end of the night, you'd hose it all down, and you'd hit that switch, and it would go, and it'd be gone. It was awesome. Amazing. But the, lo- the longer that thing worked, the more temperamental it became. And pretty soon, the guys in the dish pit knew this. If you wanted the food to go down, you had to push the switch down. If you pushed the switch up, The blades would run in reverse, and it would expel that food everywhere. I mean, it would cover everything. Yeah, I know, it's gross. I know, it's gross. Now, this was very useful information to have whenever a new employee started at Brandon University. Because whenever a new kid would come and work in the dish pit... We would allow them to enjoy the, you know, we train and we do all of those types of things. And then towards the end of the evening, they would be welcomed to our little fraternity. I remember when a young guy by the name of Duncan showed up. Duncan McQuiston. It was my job to train Duncan, so I showed him around, and as the evening went along, I just let the trough fill up. 
it was meatloaf night. And right towards the end of the evening, the guys in the dish pit began to slowly filter out until I just was so innocently there and happened to say, hey, Duncan, flip that switch up. It covered him from head to toe. Juice, sour milk, meatloaf, potatoes, fries, you name it. He was covered from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Covered his glasses, got in his mouth, soaked through his hair. It was absolutely beautiful (laughs) the way it came off. It was beautiful until Duncan looked at me and said, I thought you were different. Suddenly it wasn't funny anymore because of my stupid decision. It wasn't funny at all. And I remember finding something else funny when I worked at Brandon University in the food service. See, not only did we serve the students every day, we also catered banquets. And I remembered how the mood in the dining hall would change whenever we heard that a Christian group was coming. The staff hated serving Christian groups because nobody whined or complained like Christians. Nobody stole like Christians. Stuff would just disappear off of the tables. If it wasn't nailed down, it was gone. And it bugged me because they were supposed to be different. You ask any person in the restaurant industry, they'll tell you the worst people to wait on are those who show up dressed up right after noon on Sunday afternoons. Worst tippers, most complaints, and the meanest people of all. I think that's a tragedy because we're supposed to be different. Different in a restaurant, different on a basketball court, different in the classroom, different in the workplace. We're supposed to be different everywhere. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to describe what different looks like. I think Matthew chapter 5 is the best sermon ever preached in world history. And so we're going to walk through it piece by piece this weekend. As we go through the passage, I want you to think about it like rungs on a ladder. That's why this is here. I want you to think about it as a logical progression to being different. I want you to picture what it's like when you get all the way to the top and and you look different from that perspective. I want you to understand that, that the more we follow the instruction of Jesus as he lays out these headlines, it is how it describes us when we get nearer and nearer and nearer to the heart of God. So let's walk through them together, okay? Rung number one, way down here at the bottom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, how's that for starters? If you want to have it all, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want God's blessing, you're supposed to start with being poor in spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. You're blessed when you figure out you're spiritually busted. You're blessed when you figure out that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you're a complete mess, that you're spiritually destitute. When you actually figure that out in your head, the Bible says you're blessed. You become like Isaiah, who had an encounter with God and said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm filthy. My mouth is unclean. I'm unclean. I mean, how can you be blessed when you're poor in spirit? I mean, when you're standing there kicking the dirt on the ground thinking, I got nothing, man. My spiritual life is empty. 
Apart from God, I can do absolutely nothing. And that's exactly where I am. How in the world can that be seen as blessing? Let me tell you how. You're blessed when you know that you need God. When you need God more than air, you're blessed because you just figured out you're poor in spirit. Rung number two, right here. Blessed are those that mourn. Why in the world are they mourning? Why are they sad? They're sad because they just figured out they're spiritually busted. That's why. They just realized there's no hope apart from a relationship with God. They just suddenly realized, they just realized what David said in Scripture. He said, God, what you really want is a broken and contrite heart. When your spiritual poverty makes an 18-inch drop from your brain into your heart, the Bible says you are deeply blessed. I mean, what, did, what was Peter's response when he denied Jesus? He wept bitterly. It broke his heart. Here's amazing, though. When you're poor in spirit and you mourn, the Bible has a promise for you. It says that God comes close to comfort you. That he's your spiritual comfort in that moment. Third rung, right here. Blessed are the meek. Now, when some of you hear the word meek, what's the first word you think as well that rhymes with it? Weak, right? You think weak right away. So you picture in your mind some sniveling little Casper milk toast guy with allergies, you know? It's just like, okay, I can't breathe. It's not good, right? It's meek. Meek does not mean weak. In fact, in the original Greek, that word for, for meek actually means how to bridle a wild horse. Meek is all about control. Jesus is saying when you're spiritually busted, you know it in your heart. You're blessed when you come to God and say, I can't, I've got no control in my life. I'm like a wild stallion. I'm, I'm completely unglued. This is not good. And I don't need my control in my life. I need your control in my life. Now, here's what's crazy. When we think we're out of control in our modern culture, where do we go for help? I'll tell you where we go. We go to Barnes & Noble to the self-help section. Because we think we're just going to try, I'm going to grab the latest book, and I'm going to get down to fixing myself. Can I just be honest with you? It doesn't work. Self-help don't help anybody. Mike Bro, one of my fast, favorite pastors, said this, self-help can't help. Because self can't help, that's why we get so frustrated with self-help. Because when you turn to self and self to help, self may offer some suggestions, but at the end of the day, self can't help you at all. And if you ask self to help and let self help and self wants to help, you're going to be in big trouble. You're going to end up going to somebody else to ask them to help you. Because your self helped you dig a great big hole that you can't get out of. Self is unreliable. Self's undependable. Self can't be trusted. Self can't accomplish anything of eternal value. If self could help, Jesus would have given us all a Barnes & Noble card and said, go get a coffee and have a nice life. Isn't that true? Jesus said, you're blessed when you realize you need God at the controls of your life. When I'm meek, I'm inviting God to touch me and take me and mold me, and fill me, and actually use me in somebody else's life. I mean, those are the first three rungs. We're not even halfway up the ladder yet, are we? Let's review the first three again. Blessed are those who recognize their need of God, confess and repent of their brokenness, and then completely surrender to Him. If you're at that point, you're blessed deeply. Here's number four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Here's the little tag that comes with that one. Loving God changes your appetite. It changes your appetite. 
When you meet Jesus, you're no longer hungry for stuff like popularity. You don't need prestige or status anymore or power or material stuff. You're not hungry for achievement. It just doesn't do it for you anymore. No, instead, you've discovered that the stuff of this world actually leaves you empty. Only the things of God can fill you up. So you start hungering and thirsting for different things. I'm going to promise you, when you accept Jesus, you long for stuff that you never used to long for anymore. I mean, you hunger and thirst for God's ways as you renew your mind through the Word of God daily. You let the Word seep into your heart and things begin to change. You begin to thirst for God and His direction and His Word. And it's addicting. I mean, you just can't get enough of it. Once you've experienced the presence of God, you have to have it in the center of your life. You meditate on it, saturate in it, marinate in it all day long, and it transforms you. Now, here's the amazing thing about the first four rungs. They're all about preparation. They're the foundation. This ladder would not be stable at all if the first four rungs were missing. In fact, if the first four rungs were missing and you tried to climb it, you'd be nuts. Because it just wouldn't have the foundation there that you need. It's the foundation of your spiritual walk. Now we're going to switch and we're actually going to look from the preparation part to the presentation part. A lot of Christians jump over the first four rungs and they end up acting like Christians, but they've completely lost the joy of their salvation. So if you skip the first four, you've got no foundation. But if you start working on these presentation parts up here, the Bible says you're going to shine like a light in the dark. You're going to be like awesome seasoning on a really good steak. Jesus made steak. I think he was awesome when he did that that day. That was good, you know? So we're going to go up here a couple more rungs. Don't get nervous. Just going to hang with me, okay? Because number five is this. This is blessed are the merciful, right? Blessed are the merciful. There's a different perspective from up here. I'll tell you what, you guys look a little different. Hopefully I'll look a little different from down here, or from up here as well. Blessed are the merciful. And the truth that Jesus is trying to get here is pretty, pretty simple. It's give mercy because you got mercy. If you've experienced the mercy of God, you should be the most merciful human being on the face of the planet. You know, I was a youth pastor for more than 10 years, and I took a group of young people on multiple missions trips, the inner city, Los Angeles, Mexico, you name it. We traveled all over the place. I remember one trip in particular. We were working in downtown Los Angeles at a program called Say Yes, where we worked with kids who were at risk. Most of their parents um, were drug addicts, and so they came to this little after-school program because it was the only safe place that they had in their world. That particular group of young people that I took that year, they were different than a lot of other groups of young people. Most of them came home with empty suitcases. They gave all the clothes away because they met kids who needed it more than they did. I remember one kid came home barefoot because he gave away all of his shoes. And on the way home, we'd planned a little, a little resp, or, you know, a little respite, a little rest for this particular group of, of students. So I pulled into the parking lot of a Six Flags amusement park. I said, we're going to go and play for the day. You guys have worked really, really hard, so I want you to play because it's going to be awesome. You really, really deserve it. I got out of the van, we collected all the money, and I started to head to the front gate where I was going to pay all of their admissions. When I got to the front gate, I, I realized I was the only person there. Turned around, started walking back, started running into groups of kids. 
They said, Grant, just get the money for what I'd spend on the amusement park. Send it to L.A. Not one single kid wanted to spend a day at the amusement park after having come face to face with what happens when you practice mercy in somebody else's life. It's infectious. And because you have been given mercy, you should give mercy. We should be the most merciful people. Rung number six. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, I love the fact that, that it says, blessed are the pure in heart, because what it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean you're never going to have a bad thought after you meet Jesus. I mean, if that was true, the Bible's being incredibly inconsistent when it actually says that we're supposed to take every single thought captive. I mean, we have a battle in our minds that goes on all of the time. No, being blessed, in pure, being blessed with a pure heart means you're going to come to God real. Means you're going to come to God authentic. You're not going to, to put on airs. You're not going to pretend somebody that you're not. And I'll tell you something. You want to find something different in the world today? Be a real person. Be somebody who doesn't hide behind a mask. Be somebody who actually says yes when they mean yes and no when they mean no. It's going to, you're going to be a complete and total freak in our world today. Blessed are the pure in heart. And purity starts with actually understanding who God is and where we fit into that plan. It means we're going to come purely. No holds barred saying everything that we need to say in front of God. The little takeaway on that one in your outline is the blessing comes in being real. Jesus was the realest human being there ever was. I know that's terrible English, but it's good truth. Here's the next one. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm going to keep moving up here just a couple more. You all right? Just relax. Okay, I'll come down one to make you feel better. All right. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a group of people in the world that Jesus has entrusted his mission to, and we're supposed to be known with the following qualifications. Let's give ourselves a grade. We're supposed to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. How you doing, Christ the King? That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be peacemakers. You know what Jesus didn't say? Jesus didn't say the Christians are supposed to be the people who are always stirring the pot. Causing a little ripple here, a little ripple there, just because you can. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we're to be peacemakers, which means any room that we walk into is supposed to become more peaceful because of our presence, not more chaotic. Oh, now we're digging into it, aren't we? We're not supposed to infuse situations or incite situations. We're actually supposed to be the, the quiet and calm ones. Everybody's freaking out these days. May 21st is the end of the world. I love the fact that May 22nd is a Sunday. I'm going to talk about that that morning together, okay? I mean, I love, they come and ask these incredibly deep questions about what are we going to do when the world ends on May the 21st? You know what? If it does, and I don't think it will, because even if Jesus was planning on coming back that day, I think he'd change it just to spite those people, just to be sure. But if he comes back, we win. I mean, why in the world would that cause chaos in our hearts? I also can't figure out why all the people who think they're leaving are buying gold. Shouldn't you just be giving everything away? You're not going to be here anyway. Seriously. Wow. That was not in my outline. That was for free. Anyway, there's two kinds of people, thermostats and thermometers. 
thermometers adjust to the temperature of the room. If you walk into a room and nobody's doing God's stuff, you just settle right in on their level. You're a thermometer. You just shoot wherever it happens to be because you don't want to cause anybody to be rippled. You don't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you something, friends. The cross is offensive. It's attractively offensive, but it's offensive to people because it says there's a line drawn in history and you've got to make a decision about it. Thermostats and thermometers. Thermometers adjusted the temperature of the room. Peacemakers are thermostats. They set the temperature of the room. Every room that you walk into, the spiritual temperature should start going up. Because you speak for Jesus, talk for Jesus, act for Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus. That's our calling as Christians. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who bring peace into a chaotic world. And finally, blessed are the persecuted. Hold on. We're good, just relax. I practiced. (laughs) Blessed are those who are persecuted. Because when you get near to the heart of God, you're a target. You're exposed. You're up here all by yourself. Do you know why? Because you keep messing up everybody's curve. I've been told at jobs that I've had that I need to slow down because I'm making everybody look bad. That don't cut it because I don't work for a man. I work as unto the Lord. That's what my Bible says. So you're there working it because you work for Jesus. And that's going to put a target on the back of your head. You will become more exposed. Blessed are the persecuted. Many, many years ago. Y'all feeling better? Many years ago, I got to preach in a church in Russia. Before I actually got up (laughs) to preach on spiritual passion, I went for a walk down a hallway with one of the pastors, and there was a series of picture frames all the way down one wall. I said, what are these pictures of? I said, those are the pictures of all of the pastors who have ever served in this church. There were hundreds of them. I said, what, what, what's with the white frames? He said, those are, the, uh, those are the pastors who actually lived to tell the story of speaking the name of Jesus out loud. I said, what about the black frames? They said, those were all the men who were killed for doing what I'm doing right now. I said, what about the black frames with no pictures? I said, those were the pastors who turned out to be KGB agents. We believe they are responsible for the death of more than three quarters of our church. Blessed are the persecuted. I walked out of that church thinking one thing. My hope and prayer is that I would be different enough to be persecuted in the name of Jesus and still consider it pure joy. Because he considered it pure joy when he gave his life for me.
So there's the rungs. Eight of them. And every one of them encompasses a step that each one of us is challenged to take as we do everything we can to get as close to the heart of God, especially at Easter time. I wrote this message in my prayer in my journal said this, God, I recognize that I need you. And that recognition has broken my heart. God, I'm hungering for you to turn me into a person who loves like you love all day long. God, I want to be somebody real and authentic. Don't ever allow me to be phony. God, transform me into a thermostat. And when persecution comes, not if, because if it's if, we're playing it safe. When persecution comes, let me stand tall like Jesus. You know, um, I can never get out of my memory the picture of Duncan standing in that dish room, wiping that stuff off of his forehead and off of his face. His first day had been ruined by somebody's idea of a stupid decision. I thought it'd be funny. It wasn't funny at all. It was my stupid, sinful choice that made him stand there like that. Well, my friends, 2,000 years ago, on a very different day, a man named Jesus stood with blood running down his face onto his robe. I'm sure he tried to wipe it away, but I doubt that it was very easy because his hands were shackled. He was half dead, but he just stood there and took it. What was happening to him wasn't some bad joke. No, everything that was happening to Jesus was being done on purpose because of my stupid, sinful decisions. Why did he take it? Why didn't he unleash heaven on those whose sin nailed him there? Why didn't he speak a word and have every angel in heaven descend on that place and wipe out humanity once and for all? Do you know why that did not happen? It's because he was different. And he wants us to be different too. He was different when he was faced with persecution and ridicule and mocking, he did the unthinkable. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. They deserve God's wrath. Instead, I'm going to kick the door open to God's mercy. Jesus is different. And he wants us to be different too. You want to know how much? The second Jesus was finished, the most powerful message that's ever been preached, he said this, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. May we never lose our flavor. And you want to know how? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. I know that for a fact. When it's clear, I can see Abbotsford from my house. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, you let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds, your mercy, your humility, your gentleness, so they can see that and glorify your Father who is in heaven, who sent Jesus to state the greatest headline of them all. Good news. He is risen. Let's pray. Jesus, you didn't just go to the top of a ladder. You went to the cross to save us. You taught a radical new gospel that dared to say that man in his brokenness could have a relationship with Almighty God. That we could be forgiven and set free. And that when we came to grips with our spiritual condition, we were actually blessed. So Father, may the blessing of God the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the nearness of the Holy Spirit empower those who call themselves Christ ones to climb the ladder this week. To not be okay with the first four, but to scramble to the top, even if it means persecution. Father, may we be peacemakers this week. May we be people who are gentle in heart and pure in spirit. May we hunger and thirst for righteousness because in pursuing that, we will be different. And that's good because when we're different, we're just like Jesus. So Lord, give us the courage to invite this week. Give us the courage to share this week. Give us the courage to live like you lived. And as we move nearer to the heart of God, may all of the glory go to your good name. And it is in Jesus' powerful name that we agree together and say, Amen.